Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at the Hamilton Southeastern Schools Administration Building here in Fishers, and I'm with Justin Hernizzi, the Executive Director of the Hamilton Southeastern Schools Foundation. So, Justin, welcome back. It's good to have you back here. Thank you very much for having me. Last time you and I talked, we were on Zoom, and uh, we promised each other we would do this in person again. I'm glad we are. And uh, we are now to the point where we can at least uh, gather to the point where we can have an interview one-on-one looking at each other uh, at the way I prefer uh, to do an interview if I can. Uh, you know, Justin, I moved here to Fishers in 1991, and I can still remember when the Hamilton Southeastern Schools Foundation basically consisted of a part-time secretary and a desk. And that I think the, the person who had that just took donations, did right. basic things. And uh, I see what... Uh, Freedom Kolb has done what you have done uh, to grow this foundation to a much bigger part of the whole community of schools. Your office is here in the administration building. You are the charitable arm of uh, the school district. Right. We always have people moving into Fishers on a constant basis. People move in, people move out. And uh, there are always going to be a few people who maybe are not familiar with your foundation. Take a moment or two and talk about what you do. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. It's also great to see you. I think it, when you think about foundations that support entities, especially as entity an entity as important and critical to the community as our public schools, think of us as the philanthropic arm of the district. Think of us as someone that superintendent and administrators can work with to if there's priorities that need supplemental funding. We all know there's funding uh, issues throughout schools, throughout the country. Uh, So think of us as a shot in the arm sometimes. Sometimes it's essentials. I've heard stories like you said when we started in 2001, we were funding scantrons, uh, pencils, things of that nature. But that's what was necessary at the time. Uh, Since then, we've wanted to be really known for innovation. Uh, So when you think about the foundation, we're doing our job, if you think of us as a way for teachers, students to be innovative. Uh, We just last week, and I know we're going to talk about this, but we handed out uh, grants at 18 of our school buildings, which was amazing. We were able to do that in person for the first time in two years, which was really cool. But uh, we had double the amount of requests this year compared to last year, and that was an important metric for us. We had hoped that would be the case, but I think it's a reminder for those listening that The last year, year and a half, two years have been challenging, and finding time to be creative and to be innovative uh, was, you know, on on short order uh, this time last year. But I think what we're seeing is now people are able to say, hey, I've been really thinking about this. I want to do something really neat. So we were able to surprise um, over 30 staff members across the district and celebrate a new idea they had. 
And that's exactly where I was going with the next question. Uh, we're recording this on November 15th, but uh, your organization was all over social media in the past few days. And that was exactly what you were celebrating, the passing out of grants uh, to teachers, classes all throughout the district. And, and I know that speaking to you and, and, and your predecessor, that uh, raising money is important. You can't do anything about that. But when you get the chance to pass it out and, and support some of these teachers and what they're doing in their mm-hmm. classrooms, that's got to be the greatest joy of all. It's amazing, I think, to see the look on a student's face, um, a teacher that they've been listening to for the last several months and they think the world of, but uh, the, the see their eyes light up behind their mask uh, regarding, hey, my teacher had an idea that just got funded, like money's going to come in to our classroom, to our building for something really cool. Uh, we were happy to do it. And again, we, um, we were able to fund three out of four grant requests we got. Uh, which was great. It was really a record number of applications we got this year, which we were excited to do. What you'll see from us here, for those listening in the community that know um, staff at buildings or, or know a teacher who maybe is exceptional, consider this. The um, the foundation will have our third spring grant cycle coming up, and we're going to open up that in the next couple of weeks. So if you're listening and you're a parent or you know a staff person, these are student-led grants. So the grants we just handed out were for staff members that had great ideas. Um, the one we do in the spring is more student-led. So the idea of student agency, really the HSE 21 model, what have they been seeing maybe for this first semester and either we're inquisitive or why do we do it this way or maybe a problem we're looking to solve? Um, That's our next cycle. So we're excited. We used to have just one cycle in the fall, but due to some of the successes we've had with fundraising, we've been able to build, to your point, over our 20 years to a point where now we can fund two grant cycles, which is great. So we'll hand out early next year really those student ideas. So we actually ask them to fill out the application, work with their teacher, uh, send us a video, but tell us an idea they may have for their building. So that's a really cool thing, too. So look for that in the spring. We'll be hitting social media again to hand those out. You mentioned innovation, and I'm going to ask you a tough question here because I think uh, we can talk in general terms about the fact that you're passing out uh, some some of these grants. Can you think of maybe two or three that exemplify the sorts of grants you passed out, sorts of requests that you uh, had come in and you were able to fund? There's a couple that come right to mind. We we It's just the season we're at right now uh, in the world, but a number of our grants have ended up being for outdoor spaces, you know, outdoor play spaces. Um, we the One that's, that comes to mind, uh, which was through a grant we were helped um, through United Way to get, there is a hammock farm coming to Brooks School Elementary, and it's exactly what I described. Picture posts that come off out of the ground, and the kids had the idea that they wanted a space to just – recharge their batteries. They've been running around at recess, but they really wanted something to maybe unwind and just, just take a minute for themselves. So they, they had the idea of a hammock farm. That's a really fun one. A couple others that we were really excited to fund um, are some of our experiential learning pieces. So um, I ran over to Hub and Spoke with my small uh, grant patrol team, and we uh, surprised Jennifer Suskovich, who's the teacher in residence there. So if you haven't been to Hub and Spoke, highly recommend it, but it's a maker space. It's all those things. So the kids uh, were getting ready to literally flood into uh, the room. Uh, she's got a robotic arm project that she wrote a grant for. So we'll be excited to be able to fund something like that that just helps her do her job even better. We also had one out at the Agri-Park, which is another new experiential learning this year. So when we get requests like that, we like to be um, 
maybe uh, some of the gas that gets an idea started and then see where it goes from there. Yeah, I think uh, the Agra Park is uh, one of the favorites for Mayor Fadness. He grew up on a farm in North Dakota. Want to pivot to something that's going on. Uh, you are preparing to celebrate a very spe- special anniversary. Talk about that upcoming anniversary. So the foundation was founded in October of 2001. So as we sit here in November, we are officially 20 years old. Um, probably need to get a birthday cake at an upcoming board meeting out. But we're excited about that. Our plan for our celebration of the 20th anniversary is really to do more of what we've been doing, delivering on our mission, supporting district initiatives. A lot of people know us for our teacher grants, our student grants, but also our scholarships. We'll have scholarships that we give out, more than 30 scholarships at both high schools uh, next spring. But as we thought about how do we best celebrate um, this year, it's it's to continue to deliver on our mission. We do think through our Mudsock uh, fundraiser, our game day fundraiser, but also maybe a new uh, piece that we want to add. We're talking about doing an event in the spring at Top Golf. Uh, inviting stakeholders throughout our history, whether those are former school board members or board members of the foundation, the schools, the PTOs, the principals, all the people that really help us deliver on our mission, invite them to kind of help us celebrate uh, kind of a year-end activity. So we plan to do a little something each month, um, but we really want to be true to our mission. We're not um, we're not an organization that isn't without change, as you said. We've we've grown up a lot over the years, but the district has too. So I think as we look at our the future of the foundation, what does the next twenty years look like? I think we look at it honestly with our our board of community members and student board members that we need to actually continue to grow because as the district gets larger, I think the needs are going to get larger. Yeah, the change is amazing. I, I You and I talked before we started this, and I mentioned that I moved here in 1991 at the outset. And you look at the HSE school system that existed then, largely a rural school system uh, in 1991, and it has grown into a suburban school system. And people don't always realize we are the fourth largest school system in the state if you measure us by student population, even though we've lost a few. Uh, we're still... I mean, the number number five is, is pretty far behind us. Uh, so obviously the foundation changes as, as that changes. I want to talk about COVID-19. It has had an impact on so many charitable organizations. I've talked to many people in this community over the last couple of years on that. It's had an impact on your fundraising. It's probably had an impact on what you choose to fund yourselves. Um, how has your foundation weathered that storm? I would say in comparing ourselves to other school foundations, as you said, being one of the uh, larger suburban districts in the Indianapolis area and having great relationships with the other districts around us, I think we've all, we've all seen something pretty similar. One, Hamilton County is doing pretty good by and large. You know, there's a lot of we, – we, we're not uh, immune from the challenges of this, but economically – um, as you drive around, we don't have the rows of empty uh, retail establishments and some of those things. Largely, people have been able to retain a job, do something remote. So one of the things we saw last year is people who had the capacity to do so were very generous. So we saw that with our Giving Tuesday fundraiser last year, which we'll talk about. The other thing that we that really, I wouldn't say caught us off guard, but was one of the, one of the neatest things I think we really did last year is during the traditional Teacher Appreciation Week, we do a Think and Educator program, and we partnered with um, 
locally, the Goddard School is a sponsor, and then Taylor's Bakery, you know, uh, has an HSC alum uh, who owns that um, to get every nomination, every every staff member, whether a bus driver, student, uh, a nurse, a teacher, get them all a cookie and a certificate with a note um, nominated by a community member of something they did special this year. In the history of our organization, we've got hundreds of these. So for the last 20 years, we've gotten hundreds of them. Last year, we had almost 1,000. And it stood out because sometimes you do see the negativity. You see the challenges of COVID. Here's the problems. But what, what we really experienced is for a small donation, we asked for $10. You were able to do something nice with a, with a, a letter and, and a kind of a attaboy or a pat on the back. Uh, but to get 1,000 of those, it really stood out to me that there's, there's more people in this world that want to say, hey, thank you. And we appreciate you than some of maybe the naysayers of the negativity. So that was something that really stood out last year to us that we were excited to be able to buy those cookies, print those certificates and deliver those. You have in recent times placed an emphasis uh, in asking for support from some alums, alumni from uh, the HSC schools, HSC high school. Fisher's High School since it's come along with, with the graduates. So explain why your foundation has been turning to the alums for support. I think one of the one of the learnings when I first took over is, and Dr. Borf um, described our district when I first took over as, as an adolescent. You know, the, our age, we're still kind of figuring what we are, maybe awkward at times, still growing. And I think it's a great analogy. When we talk to some of our surrounding districts that are older, Lawrence comes to mind, Carmel, even down into Indianapolis, their foundations may have been around 50, 60 years. So the idea of alumni engagement and, you know, with us being only 20 years old, if you're an alumni in 2001, you're you're still, you're not even 40 years old yet. So uh, maybe you've started a family, maybe you live in the area, maybe you don't, but I think we, we've learned that there's a, there's a connection point and engagement point that the public schools and the foundations, um, it's an opportunity for us to create opportunities. So one thing we did um, amidst COVID, one of the benefits, one of the COVID positives, as I would say, is we did a lot of engagement with our stakeholders. So there were core groups, past donors, you know, past board members. But alumni was one of those big groups that we really wanted to say, hey, as you said, you, you may not know about the foundation because when you were here 20, 30 years ago, we simply weren't in existence. So we wanted to not only educate, but we wanted to ask questions of if you were to come back and do something with our current students, what does that look like? What would you be looking for? And what we heard was networking opportunities. I wanted to get to know people in my area. What if there was a directory where if I did move somewhere else and I'm looking to connect with people who were in a club I was in or something like that, mentor opportunities, they really were looking for those things. So we recently did a survey. Uh, we had over 500 alumni over the summer reply from 24 states. So we were thrilled with those results. What it's led us towards, and we'll be making an announcement here in the next few weeks, is what I would describe as the most robust online directory for alumni at least in the central Indiana area. So we've partnered with a group called Alumni Nations. All they do is work with K through 12 districts and foundations to try to connect alumni. Um, there's tens of thousands of alumni that we have in a database, but we want to try to do a better job of connecting them. We're talking a job board, mentor opportunities, a directory. So think of it as if you wanted to go online and say, hey, where's all the people in my age group? Or maybe just the people that did band within five years of me that I've lost contact with through this directory, you can search in all those different formats and find those folks. So you sign up, you claim your profile, 
Um, and then from there, you can really engage with it and really create and contact the people that you want to. So we're excited about that. It's something new. HSA schools, I think you could say, follow the lead of the city in establishing a, establishing a really robust mental health program. It started with the city uh, when we had our last uh, refer- operating referendum which, by the way, there's another one coming up in a few years because uh, they come up every so many years based on state law. But uh, what I'm asking about here is the mental health program that the school system funded through that uh, referendum that was voted in a few years ago. But even with all that funding and with the city's uh, program, you found a gap in, in, in some of uh, some of that. In other words, there were some young there were some youngsters who were identified as needing some mental health support. Perhaps their insurance didn't cover all Correct. of it, or it didn't cover much or any of it. If they had insurance, some people maybe don't have it. Um, you, as a foundation, stepped up to fill that gap. Explain what you did. Well, I appreciate you bringing it up, and I think the city. We've we've talked around that a little bit, but the city's such an important partner for the district, the foundation, and the district alone. And and do appreciate our mayor and some of the stigma free work that was done early on to really lay the groundwork for how important mental health is. So, do want to mention that there's a couple of things we've done, and and really, I think COVID's also taught us just how important not only our schools are for food for. Um, the social aspects, for obviously for learning, but just a, a sense of community in place. So um, Project Hope is a project that several nonprofit partners led by uh, Mike Rykoff helped start through Brooke Lawson a couple of years ago. We're in year three of that. So I've got some of the numbers in front of me. Um, in 2019-2020, we helped 23 students. The year after that, it was 16. And so far this year, we've had four referrals. So as you said, it's a scholarship program for students who, for whatever reason, don't have the ability to source mental health services outside of the school. So we did start a fund. We've done a little bit of fundraising around it. We've won a couple of grants, but we've been able to build a sustainable program over these school years. It's almost 40 kids that have been helped through this program. Um, And I would say, uh, and this is through Brooke, all the students discharged have successfully reached treatment goals or obtained uh, a payer or some way to continue services. So to your point, 40 kids doesn't seem like a lot in a district of 22,000. However, I think we look at that and say, oh, these were, these were kids, as you said, that fell into a gap. What could we do? You know, as we sit there at the end of the year, one of the things we said is, are there any kids that need additional support? This was a group that was identified. Now, another thing that we've done this school year, which is new, we're calling it a school refusal program. So we had kids who weren't in school. A lot of them were virtual or they started to come back. There was hybrid model. What we found is, anxiety and other aspects were leading to challenges as they walked back into the school school building. So uh, we were we benefited from a grant in the spring from United Way partnered with Brooke. Um, this and we've been able to source some additional funding but looking at some of those numbers we've helped more than 30 students we have 20 students active. Um, one of the things we looked at there was some of the breaks too fall break, Christmas some of these breaks where you're going away and you're no longer in the building how do you come back so we were happy that following the fall break, all but one of the students were able to successfully go right back into school without any issues. So again, a smaller number, but that's an intensive outpatient program that really these students were in need of support outside the school. So those are a couple of examples. They fall in mental health. One of them's the the, the gap of funding and the other is just they need additional support out of the school. But I would 100% agree with you as we as we lean on the district, like what, what else can we do as your foundation? Those were a couple of things that they said, hey, we can use help with that. And we've been 
We've been pleased with the results, but we want to continue to be there as needs evolve um, through the rest of the school year. Well, speaking of filling gaps, there's one thing that is not identified often with HSE schools because HSE is considered a fairly well-off suburban school system. That's the reputation we have. But because it is such a large school system, we still have students with challenges. All you have to do is talk to the people at the Youth Assistance Program, the Township Trustees. They will tell you that. Uh, When I have talk to these people. We do have a num- a certain number of students and families that struggle with food insecurity. Right. And, um, and, and I know that uh, the foundation is doing something about that as well. Tell us. So we've had a couple of community partners and, and really a lead donor approach us and say, hey, uh, what can we do to help with food insecurity? Um, and there's been um, some positive corporate support that's come behind that. So as you said, a partnership, a new partnership for us this school year really formed over the summer with the Fishers Youth Assistance Program. Many uh, community people have known for years the possible competition that the foundation uh, would do around our, our Mudsock game. So um, it was a targeted uh, pasta-centric food drive. It really grew to a point that we were filling three semi-trucks up a couple of years ago with pasta. One of the challenges is it's more pasta than really our local food banks could take, number one. Number two, I remember uh, with a smile on my face going into one of the food banks to deliver pasta a couple of years ago, and they said, it's great. We also have the pasta from the last two pasta bowls. So we also felt like, okay, this maybe isn't the right, t- the targeted approach too. So through um, this partnership and through, we called it turnover hunger, playing on the football theme. We partner with Youth Assistance. They do the Snack Attack program, which sends own snacks throughout all our schools. They also run the Summer Meals program and partner closely with uh, with our food services department. So we did a food drive around the Mudsock football game between Fishers and HSE back in September. We collected 26,968 items. So those are granola bars. Those are cheese and crackers. Those are mac and cheese cups, oatmeal cups. Things that uh, a little different than pasta really end up with our kids. Again, um, pasta is important. Uh, it's it's shelf stable, meaning it can be there for a long time. And the food banks will tell you that's a big deal because then they can stock it and people can come get it. But we thought it was important. Um, and I know John Delucia is going to listen to this podcast, uh, Mr. Mr. Pasta. Um, we thought it was important to keep that tradition going, too. So we still had our two high schools actually bring pasta. Uh, and we partnered with a couple of folks, including Second Helpings, on where the, that pasta would go in Delaware Township Pantry and some others. Uh, but they still collected over 5,000 pounds, which is about where we were a couple years ago before COVID. So uh, we were excited to kind of be able to do both. But uh, whether we do another food drive in the spring, because like you said, um, you look around, we have large houses and a lot of affluence in the community, but if you run our percentage of free and reduced kids compared to some of our surrounding districts, we have more need here uh, in comparison to even a Noblesville or some of our surrounding districts. So um, it, it's an area that if someone wants to give, they can search for Food for Thought. So it's the Food for Thought Community Fund. You can go to our website or the Youth Assistance Fund. But any of the donations made towards that will directly go into the pipeline to either help um, with the Snack Attack program, summer meals, or the other area. Um, We have some students and some families that just haven't been able to pay off their debt. So we know the federal government subsidizing some meals over these last couple of years, but there were some families that just weren't able to pay off their their money for their food accounts. We're going to use some of these resources for that as well. 
Well, uh, by the way, uh, John DeLucia did start the whole Mr. Pasta possible situation, and uh, John served for many years. Uh, on the school board, and uh, I understand he's still uh, very active in your foundation. So uh, it's good to know that John got that started. What is now a food drive started off as a pasta drive, and there's still a corner of it that uh, That's right. that is pasta. You mentioned this earlier, and I'm going to talk about it again because uh, we are recording this on November 15th. We are headed into the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, the Tuesday following Thanksgiving has, in recent years, been designated as Giving Tuesday, where charitable organizations, nonprofits uh, uh, try to fundraise around that, give people the opportunity to contribute, uh, ask for your final financial support for, for whatever they're doing. You are, no, you are also active in that as a foundation. Um, you've been a part of this now for a few years, so explain what is happening this Giving Tuesday for 2021. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. So Giving Tuesday, for those who don't know, is a now international celebration of Giving Day. I think people looked at all the things you're doing, getting ready for the holidays with your, uh, what do we have? We have Black Friday. We have Cyber Monday. I'm sure there's something on Thursday and Tuesday, too. But they really looked at it. How can we do something that gives back? It was started uh, actually by the YMCA in in New York City. They were the ones who kind of had this idea, I think, more than 10 years ago. Last time I was in New York, I had to go visit just to see where this idea was born. But um, in our district, and it, and it, it precedes my involvement with the foundation, but it's really become... Uh, cultural that every Giving Tuesday, our schools, our administrators, our community, uh, we send flyers home with all the kids. We do a lot of social media promotion in partnership with the district. It was the the simple idea of giving is where it started. However, it's really been, become a celebration of the schools, of the faculty, of the students and parents. So we ask everyone to head to our website, make a donation that is of, of value to you. There's no minimum or maximum requirement. Um, but we do a couple of things. We suggest make a stall notation, then post a selfie. Uh, what we've learned is uh, people's charitable giving. If they see somebody that they know make a donation, they are seven or eight times more likely to do it themselves. I know that person. They gave $5. I can afford $5 too. So it's, it's, the, it's the psyche of it, but it's also the season. You know, Again, we know that our staff and our teachers and our bus drivers and our nurses, they do so much. Um, one of the ways we can give back is to fundraise around that day, which helps us with our grant budgets for our students, for our teachers, with our student scholarships. So really, when you think about donating to the foundation, think about how you're providing us with resources to be able to turn around, as you said when we started this, to turn right around and give that back. So it's Tuesday, November 30th. We do a 24-hour campaign. So if you follow us on social media, I'll apologize in advance because we're going to flood your feed that morning. Uh, I know Larry's going to post a photo, as am I. Uh, with my one-year-old and my wife, but um, we call it an HSEF unselfie. So instead of a selfie, it's you're being unselfish on that day. So uh, we ask all our administrators to do it. Uh, Dr. Stokes sent me her photo this morning that we can post on social media. She's already excited about it, and she just got here. So I had to educate her what it is. Why am I taking the selfie? But it's a fun day. I think you'll see a lot of people that you know do it. Um, something we also have on that day is we have some generous donors that really we call them Rise to the Challenge donors. So these are community members that will match donations. So we do that for all 24 hours. So from 11 a.m. to noon, we'll have a community person from noon to one o'clock. They will match every dollar that comes in uh, up to $1,000. So we try to raise at least $24,000 since there's 24 hours in that day. But I will tell you, the one we did last year, Larry, was the biggest one we did. 
So we were really pleased with the results and we appreciate everyone's generosity. Again, we use those funds as, as unrestricted dollars. So they may end up in a student scholarship. They may end up in a grant project in your son's school or daughter's school. It's really a, it's a fun way to kind of, uh, it's our annual campaign, our year end campaign, but it's, it's one day post a selfie, give a couple dollars and feel good about yourself. And that's something because think about where we were one year ago. I mean, we were in a tough place. I I know that uh, there was no vaccine generally available at that time, so we were having a tough. You were having a tough time as a school system, conducting classes virtually in person where you could, but it was uh, it was difficult. So uh, the fact that you were able to fundraise to that extent, considering where the community was at that time, is. Is, is a statement in itself. And I would just add to that, you know, we did our recent Grant Patrol, which I know you saw on social media. We printed up these big signs. We went into the classrooms with board members and donors, and we surprised students. We were doing that on Zoom last year, which mm-hmm. is a very different experience. Now, it was fun to be able to for the schools that were open at the time, uh, but we were remoting in certain students and bringing the principal into it. So we all made it work, and we still are. Um, this pandemic is still out there, but I think what what I've learned in this role, being tied to the schools and being um, being a way for people to give back to a nonprofit that directly supports every school. So we're not just one level of schools. We're all 22 schools. We're all 22,000 students. Know that when you make a donation to the foundation, that's what you're supporting. Our mission is to enhance educational opportunities across the district. So that's, that's what those dollars go to. Running out of time here. So how would you describe the biggest challenges for the foundation moving forward? I, I think the challenges for all nonprofits are, are really public education institutions are, are well documented right now. We know what's out there, just you know, search for something on the internet. But again, I, I what I look at is what are the mission what is our mission? What are we trying to support? We're trying to support innovations and help our staff. You know, when we can, we want to support their professional development as well. Uh, students, we want to support their uh, agency, their ideas, which is why we added our student-led uh, grant process earlier this this or two years ago. Uh, we talked about alumni. You know, opportunities for alumni to give back and re-engage. You know, maybe they've lost contact with the schools, but how do we do that? They're all ambitious, large projects, but. Um, with the district our size, you already said it, fourth largest in the state, I think when we get up, uh, both our board, our staff, and any of our volunteers, when we get up each day and we think about where is our time best spent, it's keeping the focus on everything we do to fundraise, we can give back. So the more dollars we can bring in, those are one more grant idea that we can fund. And you know, looking at our grant projects, we on average, those are a couple thousand dollars a piece. So for every couple dollars we get on Giving Tuesday, we just know we're putting that into a fund that we can probably fund one more project in the spring. So it's an exciting thing. But it's a, I think we're all realistic where we are here at the year end, too. We don't know what the future holds. So we, we just want to continue to deliver on our mission. And you know, we're 20 years old, Larry. So that means, you know, can we do another 20 years? Yeah, that's the goal. Anything uh, you would like to add before we wrap this up? I would just say thank you. And I know for those of you listening to this podcast, if you made it to this point, uh, you're a big Larry fan like I am uh, and just appreciate you. I know you were recently, we just talked about it, had a couple of things that kept you off the podcast air. So I'm just glad that we're sitting down doing this in person, even though we have our masks right here and we're safely distanced. Uh, it's better to, to do this in person over Zoom. So thank you for coming in and talking to us about the Hamilton Southeastern Education Foundation. And Justin here at Isaac is the executive. Executive Director, Justin, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much.
Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. <music>